One of our favorite partners, Lily of the Desert, is celebrating their 50th anniversary this year and are having a huge anniversary sale on all of their products this month, June 2021. They have been making quality, award-winning aloe vera and nutritional products since 1971. Drinking aloe vera every day is a great way to help digestion and balance your stomach acidity naturally. You can boost your immune system, reduce toxins, improve nutrient absorption, and antioxidant support all by drinking aloe every day. Add it to your favorite smoothie or mix it with another juice if you'd like. The aloe will help boost the nutrient absorption of those good-for-you ingredients. We love that they grow the aloe themselves organically and from field to bottle oversee all processing and manufacturing to help maintain quality and lower costs to you. They offer a full range of products including USDA organic aloe juices and gels, herbal formulas, topicals for skin care and hand sanitizer that will both protect and moisturize your hands. Their nutritional multivitamin mix, EcoDrink Naturals, is a great way to stay hydrated while taking your daily vitamins. Check them out at your local health food store and stop by their website, lilyofthedesert.com, to wish them a happy 50th. Hi, I'm Andrea Donsky, founder of NaturallySavvy.com and co-host of our Naturally Savvy podcast. And I am Lisa Davis, MPH health educator, co-host of Naturally Savvy and author of the book, Cleaning Eating Dirty Sex, Memoir Cookbook, Healthy Lifestyle Guide. At Naturally Savvy, we are here to help you make healthier lifestyle choices. So we are so honored that you are tuning in to listen to our podcast on a weekly basis. And we are here to engage you, have fun, and help you live your healthiest lifestyle. Now, on to the show. Naturally Savvy Podcast is sponsored by Morphus for Menopause. Hi, I'm Lisa Davis. So glad you're listening to Naturally Savvy Radio. My co-host Andrea is away today. If you've listened to the show, you know that I've talked about growing up with a mother in chronic pain. And I just saw the toll it took on her and on my family. And it's a terrible, terrible thing. So I'm so glad to have Rose Barnes Covenant on the program. We're going to be talking about chronic pain and more. Rose, welcome to Naturally Savvy. Thanks so much, Lisa, for having me. Great to have you on. Tell us about yourself and how you got involved in helping people with chronic pain. Sure. So it's interesting that you opened with sharing about your mother having chronic pain. My mother also lived with chronic low back pain. And as I'll get a little bit into the details, that becomes important to how my brain learned that pattern in the first place. So my name is Rose and I am a pain recovery coach. So I help people to rewire their brains and reprocess process emotions to actually break free from chronic pain. So there are so many people who are living in chronic pain who, just like me, had gone to all the doctors. I'd started with physical therapy, chiropractics, neurologists, pelvic floor physical therapists, acupuncture, meditation, um, pretty much you name it. I tried it when I was trying to fix my back. And basically, nothing worked. And nothing worked because I was trying to treat it as something physically wrong with my back. And I do have some slight abnormalities like everyone else on the planet. I have a bit of arthritis. I have a bit of a bulging disc. I'm a bit hypermobile. But all of those things weren't enough to really explain the kind of severe constant pain that I was in. So I had the, the, the mixed good fortune when COVID hit. I was living in West Africa working in public health. And I had been pushing myself in my career for years and years. And I had kind of 
subconsciously thought like, oh, well, when I get this job or this title or do this thing, I'll suddenly feel worthy and loved and, you know, good enough for myself. And as, as you probably know, that did not work very well. So I found myself just always pushing and kind of living in this constant burnout. And about eight years ago, I started getting pain in my knee and I'd had other pains in my body, right? Like, and I'd gone to physical therapy and it had resolved, no big deal. So I thought this would be the same, but this was different. It was actually right before I moved to West Africa for my first assignment there. And no matter what I tried, nothing was working. And then a couple of years later, I had another big emotional upheaval. When I moved back, I'd been through a divorce and had another relationship and And essentially all of that emotional pain and unmanaged stress and trauma had manifested as physical pain in my body. So when I came back to the States, I came across this ad talking about a cure for chronic pain. And I just thought like, I don't know. I don't know if I really believe that it's even possible. I've tried everything. Could this actually work? And as soon as I learned more about psychophysiologic mind-body disorder, I knew that this was 100% me. Oh, say that name again. Sure. Psychophysiologic or mind-body disorder. It's also referred to as TMS. And basically what happens is either because of unresolved emotional pain or just because your brain gets stuck in a pain pattern, your brain starts sending you symptoms even if your body is actually okay. So for some people, this manifests as physical pain in the back, neck, pelvis, migraines, really anywhere in your body. For others, it manifests as chronic fatigue or anxiety or depression. And you can kind of look at it like your brain has a danger alarm system and your nervous system has automatic responses to perceived danger. So when you're stuck in something that feels like anxiety, that kind of feels like you're getting ready for flight, right? You feel that energy in your body, that um, energy in your chest, as opposed to someone who is maybe experiencing chronic fatigue where their nervous system has kind of gotten stuck in this place of submit. Like they, their brain has decided they can't fight, they can't flee. So they just need to kind of freeze and submit. So when your brain becomes primed, this can be through early childhood experiences of stress or trauma, you can have your brain and nervous system basically kind of getting oversensitive at a subconscious level to potential threats. So you can imagine it like a fire alarm. And in the beginning, the fire alarm only goes off if you like really burn dinner. Like there is a lot of smoke and the fire alarm should be going off. And then over time, if you've had these stressful things happen in your nervous system, your nervous system starts to get stuck and it starts to go off when you just like singe something in a pan. And then it starts going off when you burn a piece of toast. And then it starts going off if it's just too warm in the house or too humid. So through this analogy, you can see that your brain starts to interpret things that aren't necessarily dangerous as dangerous. And your body experiences those symptoms And to tie it back to your, well, our mothers, um, your brain is actually learning all the time, right? It's incredibly adaptive. So especially when you're young, your brain learns from what's around you. And so my brain learned 
um, chronic low back pain, that when you were stressed or when things weren't going well, that you'd have pain in your back. My grandmother had low back pain. My uncle had low back pain. My mother had low back pain. And there's this certain almost thought that, oh, it runs in the family. And what's actually happening is your brain learns these patterns. It's the same way that if you have an old injury, if it starts to act back up, it's not because something physically changed in your body. It's because your brain has learned that pathway. And when you get to a certain place of stress or your brain decides that things are unsafe because of some triggering event that can be either a physical event, like a small car accident or whiplash that you're you just never fully recover from, or a big emotional event, which most people tie to, oh, I was in yoga class and I went into Warrior One and I felt something in my back and it never went away. Or I reached over and picked up a pen and then it never went away. And when you start really sifting back through the detailed history of what happened, you learn, oh, they were going through a divorce at that time, or they were starting a new job, or they were having something stressful in their life and that their brain just decided, okay, this is too much. It's like when you get into burnout and your brain finally decides like, okay, that's enough, you're done. And it'll pick some small physical thing to be the the culprit, quote unquote, for me, I thought it was a recumbent bicycle. So for years, I hated a rec- like a stationary recumbent bike. I did not have an accident. Um, but I just thought, oh, well, you know, I'd, I'd created this story for myself with the help of different doctors about what was going on in my body, that I'm hypermobile and I have some arthritis and a bulging disc and my alignment was off. So I had understood my pain to be something physically wrong. I thought, something happened in my knee, then it messed up my alignment and that messed up the ligaments and then I would be stuck in pain forever. And in actuality, that's not what was happening. But because I sought care from Western physicians, as we all do, there are some things that Western medicine is amazing for and you should definitely always consult with a doctor before you try different methods to address pain. But once you've ruled all that out, right, you've rolled out a fracture or a tumor or ongoing disease that would require treatment, then it's time to look at different options. And what I found worked for me and what's working for many others is this mind-body approach where essentially you're learning first about pain science, about what happened in your brain, what's going on in your nervous system. I'm a very analytical person. So uh, I really needed to understand like, okay, from a neurological perspective, what is going on in the brain and how did that happen? And then once you've accepted that level, you can start into the brain retraining using different techniques to be able to um, interpret those signals that you're getting in your body in different ways And also changing a lot around your mindset, your perception. When you're stuck in pain, you have so much fear, right? You're living in fear all the time. And I remember, you know, for anyone listening who's dealing with pain, you know exactly what I mean. Every single moment of every single day, you're thinking, am I sitting too long? Am I standing too long? Am I walking too much? Am I, you know going to pay for this later, right? You could go see a movie, but you were going to pay for it and you did. And so there's so much fear. And because the brain processes both physical pain and emotional pain in the same place, once you start with that cycle, even if you've started with an actual physical injury that's healed, your brain can get stuck 
in this loop of fear or fixation and feeling those physical sensations in the body. You know, I'm wondering, does this relate at all to the work of Dr. John Sarno? Yes. I just have to tell a quick story. So years ago, I did a television show on KRUZ TV, Scotts Valley, California. It's a little hole in the wall station. And it was a show was called Health Power. And I had this doctor come on and he was talking about the work of John Sarno and he recommended the book, Healing Your Back Pain. It was one of those random things. So I used to get emails. This was back, this was in 1999. So I would get emails back then from viewers. And I got one from a woman who was from Israel who happened to be on vacation and was in the hotel room and just happened upon the show. Wow. She read John Sarno's book. She put it into action. It changed her life. Her back pain's gone. I mean, I was like, oh my God, that's so incredible. Like how, what a lucky thing that she came across this. So I would say this work is based in part off of that. So in Sarno's world, the perspective is very much around the pain being related to suppressed emotional pain, most often anger and subconscious rage. Um, It can also be triggered by grief or sadness. And it's all around when you are experiencing or from your subconscious, you're having those deep, difficult emotions start to bubble up. Your conscious brain says, nope, that's too painful. Instead, we're going to send you a physical pain. So that could be physical pain, a GI issue. Um, When I really started going back through my history, I had thought it started with knee pain. Oh no. It started with, I got nauseous a lot as a child. And then I had chronic headaches in my 20s and then that went away and then I got knee pain and then so there's quite a progression and so in Sarno's work the most important part is really understanding what happened and then some people do need that support as I mentioned with the brain retraining and the emotional reprocessing I would say my approach is in part based on that and in part also based on the work of Dr. Schubner who also has a great book called Unlearn Your Pain. And it expands that definition a little bit. So Dr. Schubner and Dr. Sarno actually worked together. And so they were, um, they kind of started independently and then found each other. And they were like, what? (laughs) This is amazing. (laughs) So in Dr. Schubner's work, which is actually where I started my journey, it can be around that suppressed emotional pain, but it can also be as simple as, you maybe have an accident and that creates fear in you and you have this physical sensation in your body and it becomes self-perpetuating. So for some people, it's really focused on these deep emotions that they haven't released. And for others, it doesn't necessarily, it doesn't only happen, for example, for people who have had a difficult childhood. It can happen to all of us where if we have an accident and then that pain doesn't go away, it's because your brain has started sending you those signals it started playing that record on repeat if you will even once the actual thing that caused it is gone so in that definition yeah. well it's interesting you say that because in 1993 uh i was in my 20s and i was hit by a bread truck on my bike and i had a lot of soft tissue damage in your, my serratus anterior so people if you just lift your arm straight up and feel under your arm and a little to the side that's your serratus anterior Even sitting here doing this interview and all my interviews because I need a better chair, I have pain there. When I work out, I have pain there. So yeah, soft tissue, when you damage soft tissue, it becomes hard. it, It doesn't move easily and there is pain, but I also think there's emotional stuff mixed in. So do you, so, so sometimes it's like there's something that physically like an accident 
that caused the pain, but then it gets re-triggered by emotions. From my perspective, when I came across this, I was 100% convinced that my pain was because something was physically wrong in my back. So I think when people first hear about this, their first knee-jerk response is, that is not for me, which is totally understandable because most of the doctors that we come into um, interaction with are very focused on trying to find physical tissue damage. So what we've actually found as MRIs get more and more sensitive is that we're able to find incidental findings. So if you look at the general population, if you take an MRI of both of them, groups that are in pain and are not in pain, doctors can't necessarily tell who has pain based on those MRI results because people with the exact same structural damage will either have pain or not have pain. It really depends. So I think what's important to think about is that your brain is actually the ultimate decider of all pain. So no matter what physical sensations your nervous system sends up to your brain, your brain gets to decide what you actually feel in your body. So if you think about, um, I had a friend who he had his brother in house and the house actually caught on fire and he was rushing around, rushed in to get his brother, rushed out. And in the mayhem of dealing with the situation, he stepped on a large piece of metal and he did not even realize that he had done this until a few hours later when he was in the hospital and looked down and saw blood. And so this is a perfect example of your brain is wired for survival. So in that scenario, his brain had two potential threats. It had, you have damage in your foot and you shouldn't walk around on it. And it had dying in a fire. So very logically, the brain decided, okay, the foot can go, right? The foot (laughs) is not the priority. Screw the foot. Yeah. (laughs) Screw the foot. Exactly. So what happens when you receive those signals is your brain looks at all of them and decides what does it need to do in that moment to maximize your chance for survival. So no matter what pain you're feeling or what sensations you're feeling in your body, it's really a decision that your brain has made. So people kind of, sometimes when they hear this, they'll start thinking like, oh, you're saying it's all in my head or I'm making it up. And that's not it at all. So I think that's really the first thing to be able to step back from that knee-jerk reaction of like, uh, saying it's all in my head. I remember I had this one neurologist where I'd gone to a couple, they found a few small cysts on my spine, basically nothing that would explain the pain. And this doctor sat there and he was basically like, well, nothing we can do for you. If we do anything, it's going to make it worse. Have you tried meditation? And I just burst into tears And I just felt like he was saying that I was making it up and he didn't have tissues in his office and his poor assistant was like obviously distraught and like opening gauze to hand to me. It was just such a terrible situation. (laughs) And it's, it's actually so common that we go to doctors and if, if we don't have what they can treat, we end up feeling really alone, really um, isolated. And the thing about chronic pains for so many of us, it's invisible. When I would say, you know, for six years, I literally was in constant pain, not, Oh, it hurt once and again, like every single moment of every single day. I'm so sorry. Me too, but glad to be on the other side of it. And people would 
forget because, you know, I looked fine. Right. Right. And people would be like, oh, do you want to go hiking? Do you want to do this? Do you want to do that? And I'd have to be like, no, I can't. My back hurts. And they were like, oh, it still hurts. I'm like, yeah. I wanted to get a sticker. Like my back hurts. Don't ask me to carry heavy things. I just get a shirt. Right. Exactly. <laughs> that is so hard. You know, I'm curious about the work. Is it actual emotional work like seeing a therapist or journaling or getting your emotions out? And then is there a retraining the brain? Jump into that because I, I'm sure the listeners are like, well, how the heck how? do I, <laughs> but how tell us Rose, this is so interesting. Sure. So my program is around three main parts, as I'd mentioned, the first is around pain science. So you can look at doing a history and if anyone has questions, I'm happy to support them through that as well. And you can look at what are some of the things emotionally that happened in early childhood in throughout my life that might have caused me to feel unsafe and really shy away from just looking for extreme examples, right? This is not just about those extreme trauma scenarios. This is, can be anything um, for me in my life. My parents divorced when I was young. My mother and grandmother have a very unhealthy codependent relationship, and there was a lot of negative mindset. So from a very young age, my brain was focused on avoiding danger, right? So it became hypervigilant. So that was part of the priming. So you can look at a lot of different things in your past and then looking at different personality traits. So people who are high achievers, um, check, check. People who are perfectionists, people who put a lot of pressure on themselves to be good, to be liked. Um, People who get psychophysiologic mind-body disorder are the nicest people, right? Because we're the people who want to help everyone and are so concerned about making sure everyone else's needs are met and kind of ignoring our own needs. And really learning about psychophysiologic disorder from the neurological perspective, I think is quite helpful, particularly if you're someone who is in this moment thinking, this woman is crazy and I'm going to have pain forever. So, you know, no, thank you. So for those people, the message would be, I hear you. I was you. I think the, the way that I came across this approach, if I had been in a different mood, I would have been like, no, I'm not having it today. Right. Scroll past, move on. But you have to be in a place where you've, you've tried everything and nothing has worked. And you're like, okay, This is not a workable solution that I stay stuck like this. So the first step is really around understanding that priming process for you, what some of those triggers were. And as you probably a good exercise would be to go through a timeline. And I have some of these resources available if anyone's interested to go through what are some of the emotional events that happened in your life What are some of the symptoms that you've had? How do those line up? Do you see any correlation between those things? It's not just physical pain. It can be GI issues. It can be fatigue, thoughts of anxiety or depression. It's all part of the same mind-body process. And then when you are confident that this is what is causing your pain, you've confirmed that diagnosis. And so that's a three-step process. First, you rule out anything structural. You obviously want to make sure that you've checked with a doctor, that you don't have anything that would require medical treatment. Once you've done that, and most people, by the time they get to me, they have tried everything and <laughs> and they're ready for a different approach. And then looking for evidence like those 
early childhood stresses or traumas, like those personality traits that have perhaps predisposed our nervous system to start feeling unsafe or to become overly sensitized at a subconscious level. And then you can move into ruling in a mind-body disorder. So you can do that by looking at a list of criteria for looking at different ways that your pain doesn't respond the same way as if it were structural. So there are things like, is it inconsistent? I have one client who said, yeah, it was weird. I noticed that I could go dancing with my friends, but I couldn't do Zumba. And it was because her brain put Zumba in the bucket of exercise and dancing in the bucket as fun. But what was happening in her body was the same thing, right? So for me, another um, that I discovered for myself was that I would experience more pain after an activity, even the day after, than during the activity. Because I would be thinking the whole time, oh, this is going to hurt, this is going to hurt, this is going to hurt. And my brain, because brains use predictive coding and are ultimately lazy, would say, okay, it's going to hurt. And then it did. So you can start to use these criteria to pick out what are some of the things that are inconsistent if there was actually something structurally wrong in your body? And it's definitely possible for people to have both of these things. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask because I feel like I have both. Mm -hmm. So what we look at in those cases is starting with a thing that the person is um, most open to being psychophysiologic or mind-body disorder and kind of keeping an open mind to how that progresses, right? So there may be some things that are structural, but as you're able to retrain your brain and reprocess emotions, you can experience them in a much less intense way. So many people with chronic pain can actually completely recover, get back to pain-free. It was my birthday last week and I rode a horse. Yay! (laughs) That's fantastic, Rose. I'm so happy for you. Happy related birthday. Thank you. Um, Just to say, I mean, I was a person who couldn't sit in office chairs and I got on a horse. So many people (laughs) can actually recover. And for others who do have structural things, they can greatly reduce the intensity of their symptoms. Now, what is the brain training exactly? Like once you got it, once you did, you you went through your timeline. I mean, trust me, I had lots of trauma, so I'm definitely Mm -hmm. aware of that. Um, What's the retraining of the brain part? How does that come in and what is that? How do you do that? Sure. So in the brain retraining, there are a few different components of that. One is around increasing your tolerance to experience those physical sensations and to take the fear out of them. So basically, this whole model, the objective is to repoint your nervous system and brain towards safety and away from fear so that it stops triggering off inoculus stimuli so that it doesn't perceive office chairs as dangerous, for example, so that you can get back to to living um, your life. So in that retraining, meditation and somatic tracking are great tools. So what meditation actually does is it allows you to expand your window of tolerance of stress so you can experience different sensations without experiencing that fear. And somatic tracking is similar to meditation, but it's really more focused in on the physical sensations in your body and really reconnecting your mind and your body. So it's a trauma response for us to be so pulled up in our mind, right? We're constantly thinking, 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 
And we don't really notice anything happening in our body unless it's really good or really bad. So if we're having a really good time or we stub our toes, then we pay attention. But other than that, we don't really pay attention at all, right? When's the last time you said, oh, how's the top of my left foot feeling? You have not noticed that. So in that brain retraining, part of it is around taking out the fear. So allowing yourself to actually experience what is happening in your body and not just at that place where you're having pain or anxiety or depression, wherever you feel that in your body, but what is what are you feeling in your entire body? And then when you are able to pay more attention, but not with fear, with loving, kind acceptance and awareness of those sensations, they'll often start to change. Because what happens if we feel something that is painful, we kind of touch in with our brains and our brain says, ugh, pain, and we go back into our heads. We don't actually pay attention to what is the sensation, right? What's the quality of the sensation? How big is it? How um, intense is it? And you'll notice as you start to watch those sensations, they'll often get more intense, less intense. Sometimes they'll shift in the body. So you can start to essentially create more evidence for yourself that it is psychophysiologic in nature, because if it was structural, the pain wouldn't change like that. So that tuning in is the first step. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I knew a woman who had severe, I mean, every horrible sexual abuse, emotional abuse, physical abuse, and she had chronic pain and some other health issues. And she spent a week at Mayo Clinic, Mayo Clinic. And they're like, mm-hmm. we can't find anything wrong. Mm-hmm. And she was so upset that trauma was so intense in so many different types and for so long. And this is, I'm convinced this is what it is. I think sometimes people are resistant because they feel like they're going to have to go through a bunch of therapy and they're going to have to relive the trauma. And I actually feel like you kind of have to go through it to get mm-hmm. to the other side. Now, do you disagree or do you feel like with what you're doing, you don't necessarily have to like, like go through the sadness or the pain that you didn't get to feel for whatever reason? That is a great question and a a quite hot topic as well. So I am on the side of everyone needs to find their own path to healing. And I support anyone to go with either method. That being said, for me, I found that I had tried what I like to call spiritual bypassing or good person bypassing. Um, right? Like it was a long time ago and everyone did the best that they could. That was my refrain. Everyone did the best that they could, even if what they did their best was really crap. I would say to myself like, yes, but I'm a good person. I'm forgiving. I can, you know, just forgive them. I could not. So there are some techniques. um, People use tapping as different ways to release the trauma in the body. And those can be great tools. But I've found in my work that if you still have emotional pain, emotional charge in your body about different experiences, that the best way to heal is to allow yourself to fully feel that in your body. But you don't want to just rush there, right? If anyone's listening to this and they're like, okay, well, one, I don't want to go there. And two, um, okay, now I'm going to go and start journaling about the worst thing that ever happened to me. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Not not quite yet. So before you go into that deep emotional reprocessing, you want to make sure that you first reinforce your container. You reinforce your resilience, your compassion, your love for self. 
and you make sure that you are in a psychologically safe and secure place before you go to those difficult experiences. You want to make sure that you're properly resourced because if you go and you're feeling burnt out and frustrated and terrible and you go back to those experiences, they can really be re-traumatizing for you. But if you go from a place of love and compassion and have the tools and support you need to be able to go back through, it's not that you necessarily have to go to every single bad experience you ever had, not at all. But if there are several um, salient events or different emotions that you're feeling, to go back and allow yourself to fully feel that, not just in your head, not just intellectually, but really in your body, in your nervous system, and allow yourself to complete the cycle to be able to ride it like a wave, right? It, it feels intense, 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 but then it will peak and it will subside. And if you keep stopping yourself before it peaks and subsides, you're kind of keeping it stuck in your nervous system and creating more resistance. So I do believe that allowing yourself to fully experience those emotions, particularly anger, particularly for women, it's something that uh, so many of us subconsciously suppress I, for one, did not realize I had so much anger until I started doing this work and allowed myself to really feel it. And uh, whew, I, I was really surprised because I was like, I'm such a loving, you know, compassionate. I don't get angry. I wouldn't have anger. Um, but yes, to your question, from my perspective, I believe that allowing yourself to fully experience and not just experience, but then to reprocess those. So as you've taken those emotional charges and allowed yourself to feel it, you've allowed it to move through your body, then you need to go to that reprocessing step of what have you learned from this? What in your life is good because of this? Or what ad actions or boundaries that you need to take, right? Just because you've given, you know, forgiven, if you like to use that word, or you've moved through a stressor or trauma, for a lot of us, we find that there are things that need to change, big things and small change, relationships, um, jobs. Sometimes we need to make those big changes in our lives because our our mind and our body are demanding it louder and louder until we actually make that change. Now, how long did it take for you to be free of the pain? And was it like a up and down versus like a linear thing? Did you have like peaks and valleys? I would love to say that it was linear and super easy. Um, <laughs> and Dr. Schubner likes to say it is, it is simple. It is not necessarily easy, but it is simple. So when I first learned about mind-body disorder, in the next two weeks in learning about it, I had maybe a 50% pain reduction, which was incredible. And then probably a month in, a month to a month and a half in, I started having moments where I would realize like, I'm not in pain right now. And then it would come back because my brain would be like, oh crap. <laughs> right? We forgot. Here you go. <laughs> oh, And then I was like, wait a minute. Um, and then I had what they call an extinction burst. So the pain had been constant in this one spot. And then it started moving around my body. And basically what's happening there is you're, you're recreating new neural pathways and reactivating old pain-free pathways. And it's kind of like your brain is, is resetting itself, if you will. So 
there were definitely some peaks and valleys. Um, there's also something called symptom imperative. So when you're starting to do this work, you may experience new or different symptoms that may crop up. And one of those symptoms for me, it was actually anxiety. I had been, you know, kind of a warrior, kind of a, an anxious person, but I had put on, put on my big girl pants and gone and run an NGO in West Africa. I had, you know, gone to Liberia during the Ebola response. So whereas I experienced anxiety in my body, I would not have characterized myself as an anxious person. And as the pain went down, I started getting this crazy anxiety in my chest. And I was like, what is this? And had to keep coming back to these tools and this learning, like, okay, I know what this is. This is part of the same process as the pain. I know this is temporary. I know this will go away and just allow myself um, to accept that. There are kind of two approaches to getting back into physical activity or to pushing through old triggers. One is flooding where you basically say, I know my body is fine and I'm just going to force myself to, you know, go ride a bike or go run or go whatever. And the other method is graded exposure where you're like, okay, it hurt to sit in a chair. So I'm just going to sit in a chair for like 60 seconds and I'm going to stand up and then I'm going to do it for two minutes and kind of gradually build yourself up. And I, my personality type is more towards the flooding. I'm like, let's just do it. (laughs) And I realized that I had been doing that self to my nervous system for so long. I'd completely lost trust with myself. Like I did not trust myself to keep myself safe because I had allowed myself to stay in unsafe situations and just tolerated, tolerated, tolerated. And my nervous system and brain were just like, Rose, I don't really think you're going to keep us safe. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, make it so that you can't (laughs) can't do things via pain and then anxiety. So when I started having that anxiety, honestly, I, for weeks, I was afraid to even leave the house by myself. I was like, I was like, I do not want this as the, as the opposite thing. I don't want this to be like replacing the pain. And I finally just came to this place of self-compassion and peace where I was like, okay, Dear nervous system, I know that I have been not paying attention to you for years and years and years, and you're really mad. And I'm just going to allow you to do your thing. Like, you don't want to go outside today? Okay, it's fine. You know, and after three or four weeks, my body was like, oh, well, maybe go on a little walk. You know, maybe you walk a little further. Maybe you, and it. I allowed myself to gently go through that process of, of recovery and realizing that that anxiety that I was feeling was part of the same process, all of this stuff that I'd suppressed that I needed to kind of like shake out and experience. Wow. Now you work with people obviously on this. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now tell us how that worked. Sure. So I have a small group coaching program and that is open for enrollment. And my program has a couple of different components So one of those is independent study. So I provide the resources and training videos essentially for people to go through each of these steps. And so people spend spend time learning about the pain science and then there are additional resources based on where people's um, 
passion is. For some of us, we want to get deep in the neuroscience. For others of us, we're more interested in the emotional component. So just allowing each person to get the resources that they need. And then we have two group coaching calls each week. Most clients come to one, but they're welcome to come to both calls to work through any issues that they're having as they go through this healing journey. So recovering from pain can be really lonely, right? We feel like no one understands and that we're afraid that people are going to think ill or things of that nature. So allowing us to have that small community of women, I work specifically with women who are going through this journey together in that safe place to be able to bring up those different traumas or those challenges or the boundaries that we need to set and reset is really helpful for people to be able to come through this process together. Oh, that's awesome. Well, was there anything you wanted to add today, Rose? And I'm definitely going to get your information of how people can work with you and contact you, but anything else that we didn't touch on? I would just like to add that if anyone is listening and they're struggling with different symptoms and they've tried everything and they're having that response in their body of like, I don't know, is this going to work? Could I have hope? I totally get it. There were days where I was like, I don't want to have hope. I don't want to deal with this anymore. I wanted the like opt out button. Like how do I opt out of pain, but not, (laughs) you know, have to try any of these things is to just not give up hope, right? Even if you've tried so many things and you have not yet found the solution, there are always more ways. There are always more solutions. And if you're someone that you're stuck with these symptoms, you've tried everything, nothing has worked, to allow yourself to find out more information. Even if at this moment you're like, I don't really believe it. Fair enough. I wouldn't have believed it either. But allow yourself to learn more about it. And then you can see what resonates and what doesn't and go from there. This has been amazing, Rose. So hopeful. So nice to have hope. So tell us all the ways people can find you. Awesome. So I am on Instagram at Courageous Queendom. I also have a Facebook group if anyone's interested to join. I do free trainings regularly in there. You can find that by looking for Courageous Queendom on Facebook. And I also have a free training out if anyone wants to learn more about the methods and also download that pain breakthrough worksheet that I was talking about. So you can start to work through your history and see if your pain might be due to psychophysiological PPD disorder. And that can be found at CourageousQueendom.com. Well, that's it for our show today. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you. And we would appreciate it if you could please rate and review and leave a comment because the more you engage with our podcast, the more you will find it and help other people find it wherever they listen to their podcast. So be sure to follow us. I'm at Andrea Donsky and at Naturally Savvy and Lisa at Lisa Davis MPH. Thank you so much. And please share this episode because the more you share shows you care. We'll see you next time.